0: Thanks, worship team, for leading us this morning. Good morning. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd invite you to turn with me to John chapter 1. This morning, we're continuing our study of the Apostle John's account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And you'll remember that John is writing, according to one New Testament scholar, from the perspective of heaven down. Matthew, Mark, and Luke write from the perspective of earth up. and Because they share that similar perspective, they're often referred to as the synoptic Gospels. But here, the Gospel of John, we find John standing alone. He has a unique perspective when it comes to the life and ministry of Jesus. And we should not be surprised to discover that his heaven-down point of view results in a theological presentation. Nowhere is that more evident than in the prologue that we spent the last number of weeks focusing on. The first first 18 verses of John chapter 1. In that passage of Scripture, or that section of Scripture... John has sort of introduced us or exposed us to that heaven-down perspective. And we've considered the pre-existent, preeminent, divine, incredibly credible, redemptive, unconquerable word in verses 1 to 5. The true light that enlightens every man in verse 9. The word that became flesh and dwelt among us. In verse 14, the only begotten God who explains him, verse 18, and his name is Jesus Christ. John takes us all the way to verse 17 before he finally introduces us to Jesus. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So we left this prologue knowing that Jesus has been presented as nothing less than God dressed in human flesh. The incarnate word. In his first 18 verses, John has clearly established the deity of Jesus Christ. The question is, How will you respond? Will you choose not to know him as the world did in verse 10? Or will you choose not to receive him as his own did in verse 11? Or will you, as some did, receive him and believe in his name and thereby become Children of God, born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Verse 13. That third option is what God desires for you and me. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. It is also the apostle John's desire. That is why he wrote the gospel. Remember, turn over with me to John chapter 20 again, and let's review verse 31. But these have been written so that, purpose statement, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. There it is. First and foremost, John wants us to embrace the deity of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That indeed, God was dressed In human flesh and that believing you may have life in his name. Eternal life. Jesus himself has said, I have come that they might have life and have it in my name. Or as the NIV translates it, have life To the full. In other words, to be able to live life as God intended it to be lived. That, my friends, is why the Apostle John wrote this particular account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And as participants of the Rock Community Church, we need to believe, absolutely be convinced, Of the deity of Jesus Christ. That he was God dressed in human flesh. Fully God and fully man. Anything less renders our faith null and void. Believing that Jesus is the Christ. The son of God is an essential to our faith. And cannot be compromised. It will give us confidence. To live a God honoring life. In a less than perfect world, full of less than perfect people, surrounded by less than perfect circumstances. Not self-confidence. Not self-confidence. But confidence in the one who through, who though he was God, did not consider equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. John chapter 1, verse 19, marks the beginning of John's narrative account. And having been reminded of the purpose for his writing, you will not be surprised to find that he returns again for an expanded version of the testimony of John the Baptist. John's testimony is recorded for us here, beginning at verse 19. It goes all the way down to the end of verse 37. It covers three consecutive days. And I like how John MacArthur has outlined this. Day one, he is here. He's here. Day two, behold him. Day three, follow him. He's here, behold him, follow him. I like that. This morning we're going to consider the testimony of John on day one. His first day of testimony is given in response to some questions that have been delivered by an official delegation sent by Jews from the city of Jerusalem to investigate him. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And so if you're able... I'd invite you to stand with me, and I'd like to read this passage of Scripture for us. Beginning at verse 19 of John chapter 1. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, and he said to him, Why then are you baptizing, if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me. The thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who is, has higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifest to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he, who, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Please be seated. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Indeed, may your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. We come this morning offering ourselves as living sacrifices because of all you've done for us. This is our spiritual act of worship. Thank you for Jesus, and specifically for this opportunity to study his life and ministry as presented by the Apostle John. Father, as we give ourselves to this study, please transform us into new persons by changing the way we think so that your thoughts become our thoughts. Enable us to become people who are characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Able to act and react to the circumstances of life in ways that please you. By your power and your glory, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Testimonies that point to Jesus are invitations to believe. Testimonies that point to Jesus are invitations to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Flip over in John to John chapter 9. Notice verse 1. As he passed by, that's Jesus in John chapter 1. As Jesus passed by, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. And what happened is he takes some dirt, spits in it, makes mud, and puts it on the man's eyes. And lo and behold, he's healed. He can see. Now drop down to verse 8. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him, or he looks like him. But the man who had been healed, he kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Shiloh and wash. And so I went away, washed, and I received my sight. Now look at verse 25. What's happened here is the religious leaders have now brought him in for questioning, and he's answering them. The man born blind then answered in verse 25, whether he's a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. You see, testimonies that point to Jesus, like the man who was born blind, testimonies that point to Jesus are invitations to believe. Turn back to John chapter 4. here the context is that jesus has engaged a, a samaritan woman at a well who's come out to draw water and, and remember samaritans are hated by jews they're half-breeds half jewish half gentile and so jesus takes the initiative and engages this woman now look at verse 28 so the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to men to the men come and see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. And now drop down to verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all of the things that I have done. Testimonies. That point to Jesus are invitations to believe. Testimonies like the Samaritan woman. Testimonies like Gail Bailey. That point to Jesus are in fact invitations to believe. And now look at John chapter 1 verse 19. The testimony of John the Baptist concerning his identity is an invitation to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Let me read beginning at verse 19. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then he said to him, Who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. When asked, Who are you? John responded by, by explaining who he was not and who the scriptures say that he was. The question came from an official delegation sent by Jews in the city of Jerusalem. The official delegation comprised of priests and Levites. The other gospel accounts have no mention of this interrogation of John the Baptist and his his ministry. And notice that it was an investigation that was commissioned by the the Jews. That's a, a label that John uses often in his gospel in a variety of ways. But most often, he's using that label to identify a group of people that would become Jesus' fiercest opposition, and we all know how that ends. However, at this point, to be fair, they might just be fulfilling what they perceive to be their God-given responsibilities as the guardians of Judaism. Some have gone on to suggest that this group was actually sent from the Sanhedrin, that Council comprising of 70 elders plus the high priest. It was like the supreme court of Judaism. But John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just didn't find those details necessary. The Jews who sent him, sent to him priests and Levites. Now the Levites, they were descendants of the tribe of Levi one of the 12 tribes of Israel. But the Levites could not be priests because they were not part of Aaron's family tree. So not all Levites could be priests unless they were attached to Aaron's family tree. Way back in Moses' day, after God had delivered the Israelites from that oppressive Egyptian slavery. The Israelites were making their way through the wilderness to the land that God had promised their descendants would one day be theirs. It was during that time that God said to Moses, take Aaron and anoint him as the first ever high priest for the nation of Israel. He would be the people's representative before God. At the same time, Aaron's sons were consecrated as priests. Aaron high priest, his sons were the priests. And you can read all about that in Exodus chapter 9 or 29 and Leviticus chapter 8. But from that time forward, Aaron's male descendants automatically became priests by virtue of their birth. In John the Baptist's day, these priests were both plentiful and and popular in the sense that they were well-respected. So this official delegation sent out to investigate John the Baptist. It included both priests and Levites. And I should take time to mention that you do realize that John the Baptist was both levite and priest. Remember his father was serving as a priest when it was announced his birth. So so he's actually John the Baptist was a levite and the son of a priest and and listen that was an advantage when he launched his public ministry because priests were respected. It immediately gave him a voice. And you know what, how that works it's not always What you know, but who you know. And in this case, it was to whom you were born. The Jews who sent him to him, priests and Levites, their question was direct and to the point. Who are you? Who are you? Like, Where did that question come from? Like, why an official investigation? What's going on here? To answer that, we need some historical background. John the Baptist, by this time, had been actually preaching for about a year. And his reputation was one of being a very powerful preacher with a really interesting message, A popular message, in fact. Thousands of people were coming to hear and respond to his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Remember, Israel has not heard from their God for about 400 years. Nothing but silence. Malachi was the last Old Testament prophet. And now, after 400 years of silence, John the Baptist bursts on the scene with this powerful preaching and a popular message, calling for people to prepare for the arrival of their Messiah. And messianic expectations were at an all-time high during this first century Palestine. And not just because of John's ministry, but John's ministry had definitely gained some traction at this point. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, they were being baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Mark chapter 1 verse 5. Now you understand why John's ministry was being investigated. Curious? Possibly. Concerned? Sure. Threatened? I would think so. The religious elite in the city of Jerusalem were investigating John the Baptist. And regardless of why, they came with a question, who are you? And John responds with three denials that became increasingly short, increasingly brief. The first, I am not the Christ. You may want to insert in your Bible, if you have your Bible, An exclamation mark at the end of that sentence. I am not exclamation mark. It's an, the grammar there is emphatic. John leaves no wiggle room here. He's saying, read my lips. I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah you are looking for. Can you imagine? someone thinking that you were the messiah what then are you elijah three words i am not remember elijah was that old testament prophet who was taken to heaven in a fiery chariot he escaped death second kings chapter 2 but even more significant is malachi's prophecy Remember that the last Old Testament prophet said this, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5. Do you remember the duck test? If it looks like a duck, swims like a duck, and quacks like a duck. It's gotta be a duck. Well, here's John the Baptist. He looks like Elijah. He preached like Elijah. And he lives like Elijah. This was a legitimate question. But the answer remains the same. I am not. I am not. Can I digress for just a moment? As some of you are familiar enough with the New Testament scriptures that you probably know that Jesus said something like this. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. Matthew chapter 11, verse 14. So how are you going to reconcile that? You've got... Malachi's prophecy, John's denial, and Jesus' affirmation. First and foremost, the fact that we have John's birth account immediately disqualifies him as Elijah returning. Right? And then in addition to that, let's look really carefully at the angel's announcement to Zachariah at the re- reveal party for John the Baptist. Listen to these words. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Luke chapter 1, verse 17. And you caught that. In the spirit and the power of Elijah. Let's just be clear. Elijah's physical return is yet future. He is going to return physically before the second advent of Jesus Christ. And I trust that that explanation helps to give some clarity to what appears to be a contradiction in Scripture. John's third denial comes when asked, Are you the prophet?" No, exclamation mark, short and sweet. This final eschatological or end time figure is actually coming out of words from God spoken to Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 and 18. Listen as I read them quickly. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, you shall listen to him. And then verse 18, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So although legitimate and relevant, John wants nothing to do with these attempts to make him something or someone who he is not. I am not the Christ, I am not Elijah, and no, I am not the prophet. I do find it somewhat humorous that John volunteers absolutely nothing to this delegation as they go through this time of interrogation. Can you hear the crickets in between these exchanges? There's just nothing. And alas, this delegation once again breaks the silence. And this time I think we can almost hear... uh, like, a, not a whine, but a, a real appeal. Like, give us something. Who are you? And that's at a completely open-ended question. So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. Please, don't send us back empty-handed. What do you say about yourself? And John defines himself by reaching back 700 years to a prophecy recorded in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And he actually claims these words from Isaiah for himself. Interesting. When pushed, John defines himself using scripture. And he used them to identify himself as a voice. Just... A voice. A voice calling out, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Now, in Isaiah's context, the prophecy is calling for an improvement to the road system so that the Israelites who had been exiled could make their way back to the promised land. Here in John chapter one, John the Baptist saw himself as just a, a voice crying in the wilderness, calling the people to repent, to be baptized, and to start living righteously in anticipation for the Messiah's arrival. So John, true to character, deflected the attention away from himself and pointed instead to an anticipated Messiah. God empowers believers To be witnesses. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The words of Jesus. Post resurrection. To the apostles. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Both in Jerusalem. And all Judea and Samaria. And to the very ends. Of the earth. Be prepared. Be prepared to be witnesses as you respond to personal questions. Be prepared to be witnesses by viewing personal questions or questions about you as opportunities to talk about him. Apostle Peter charged first century believers who were facing severe persecution with these words. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and respect. The message reads this way. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks you why you are living the way you are. Be ready. Be prepared. And that all assumes that we're Living a life that is raising questions. Appropriate questions, I might add. And when the questions come, remember, it's not all about you. View questions about you as opportunities to talk about Him. Testimonies that point to Jesus are invitations to believe. The testimony of John concerning his authority to baptize is an invitation to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Notice verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. I want to recognize the Apostle John's insertion of the Pharisees into this narrative. There are, they are the self-appointed religious watchdogs of Judaism. And at times, they could be pit bulls. They were passionate adherents to the Old Testament law and the, even the traditions that had grown up around that law. There were Pharisees present, remember, when, when Jesus had healed that man who had been born blind. And he had healed him on the Sabbath. Yikes. Here's their pronouncement. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. End of discussion. John chapter 9, verse 16. For the Pharisees, the biggest problem they were having with John's baptism was that he was baptizing Jews. Never done before. Scandalous. Unheard of. Now, Jewish leaders baptized Gentiles who were adopting Judaism as their own faith. That happened. But even then, the baptism was self-administered. These Jewish legalists wanted answers, and they wanted them now. Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? A salesman came to the front door, and he turned to the little boy that was sitting on the steps, and he says, is your mother home? And he's little guy looks up and says, yes. And so the salesman began ringing the doorbell. After a number of attempts and still no answer, he turned to the little boy and he says, I thought you said your mother was home. To which the little boy responded, she is. This isn't my house. (laughs) Sometimes we get the wrong answers because we don't ask the right questions. And based on how John responds to this particular question, I would like to suggest that he felt the Pharisees or the priests and Levites were asking the wrong question. And when asked, why are you baptizing? John responds by deflecting their attention to the one. The one. The one who is standing among them. Turn with me for just a moment to Matthew's account and Matthew chapter 3. Beginning at verse 13. Matthew chapter 3 verse 13. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him saying, I have need to baptize you and do you come to me. But Jesus answered him, said to, but Jesus answering said to him, permit it at this time. For in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You do realize that this account in Matthew chapter 3, recording Jesus' baptism, took place prior to what we're focusing on here in John chapter 1. In fact, the same time as John is being interrogated by this delegation sent from Jerusalem, Jesus is making his way back. Back from that time in the wilderness where he's been without food for 40 days and 40 nights and then tempted by the devil himself. Notice verse 29 of John chapter 1. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold! the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus actually arrives in time for the second day of John's testimony. But for now, John deflects their attention with, but among you stands one. The one who they did not know. These folks were still part of that John chapter 1, verse 11 crowd. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. And we shall see, as we make our way through John's gospel account, the more they got to know him, the less they liked him. But among you stands one whom you do not know. The one who sandal John was not worthy to undie. Now understand that this was considered to be one of the most menial tasks you could ever ask a slave to do. John did not even consider himself worthy To do something that a slave would have thought was beneath him. This is getting pretty low. In my studies this past week, I came across something that was taught by a rabbi that lived about 200 years after the death of Christ. So back in about 250 AD. And this is what he taught. All manner of service a slave must render to his master, a pupil must render to his teacher, except that of taking off a shoe. In other words, except untying a sandal. John considers himself less than a slave when comparing himself to Jesus. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. God empowers believers to live lives that increasingly display their unique relationship to him. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 7 we read these words. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but for sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Because it's his Holy Spirit that, that sanctifies us, right? Gives us the power to sanctify us. Let me read it again in the New Living Translation. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God, who gives us his Holy Spirit. Be salt and light. Jesus preached, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. God, by his Spirit, indwells every believer, enabling us to live as salt and light. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to the Philippians. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world holding fast to the word of light. The message offers a more contemporary language. Do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second-guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in a squalid and polluted society. What a description. In a squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of a living, and and of the living, and of the living for God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. Living this kind of life will raise questions. There's no doubt about it. And when it does, remember, it's not all about you. View questions about you as opportunities to talk about him. Testimonies that point to Jesus are invitations to believe. The testimony of John concerning his identity and the authority of his baptism are invitations to believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. God empowers believers to be his witnesses and to live lives that increasingly display our unique relationship to him. Be prepared. Be prepared to be witnesses as you respond to those kind of personal questions. Be salt and light. View questions about you as opportunities to talk about him. Testimonies that point to Jesus are invitations to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And you're inviting people to believe that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the description of the life of John the Baptist that we have in this gospel written by John under the inspiration of your spirit. Thank you that it challenges us, it encourages us, it pushes us on to be the kind of ambassadors that you have asked us to be, that you've empowered us to be. May we be found faithful. We've come and prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.